And, and here, let me tell you my burden for this series. Here's my burden is that Jesus becomes the number one most important person in your life. Now, I know you say he is. I don't believe you at all. I believe that there are a lot of people in your life that you put on a higher um, level than Jesus. Um, there's people who you would rather hear teach than hear Jesus teach. And, 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 and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hearing a person teach or listening to a pastor or anything like that. But I am saying, ultimately, no person can get you to heaven. No person can heal you. No person can deliver you. Um, no person can give you the wisdom that Jesus himself can give. It's good to have wise counsel. It's good to have people in your life and authority and parents and teachers and pastors and leaders. But you have to make sure Jesus is number one. And so um, I, I wanted to I have a bunch of little, you know, how I like to have props and things like that. So this is called a pedestal. Does everybody know what a pedestal is? We're going to call it, everybody say pedestal. Yes. And what we do is um, there are people in our life, and we love these people, and they're wise, and they're good people, but they can take the place of Jesus. And if you're, not, if you're not careful, these people, some of these people like to take the place of Jesus in your life. I mean, some of them really, some people would rather you go to them than go to Jesus. They want you to always ask them, how, I need your help, how can you do And you should be talking to Jesus about a lot of it. And so, you know, there's pastors, and I'm um, like, you know, I'm a really good pastor, and so, you know, you think, oh, John Paul's here today, and I love to hear John Paul preach. He's such a good preacher. But if John Paul's not preaching today, if Big Tom is preaching today, well, I'm not coming to church, you know, because I don't, I don't like. So here's how you know if you're following a person rather than you're following God, is if you don't come to church, if you miss church because the pastor's not there. Because you think, well, man, he's the only one that can get, deliver the word for me. But when Big Tom's there, I'm not going to come to church. And we do this with worship leaders, too, that all around the world, a lot of times people choose a church not based on the church that God wants them to go to, based on the church that has the coolest music and the most professional singers. And so there are great, there are great worship leaders all around. And so just because the person can sing doesn't mean that's the church you're supposed to go to. We all have, and this represents Mark. I'm just kidding. This represents Micah. And so... Yeah, you know, you have great, and oh, they sing so good. And, and, and a lot of times we say this, we say, well, I want to hear the latest worship song, and that's great if we sing it, but if we don't, it doesn't mean you just find a church that doesn't. Do you know you can worship God in your car? You can listen to the newest and latest worship song in your car? Do you know that you can hear great teachings all over the world, on the radio, on YouTube, and all that? You don't come to church because the pastor. You come to church because that's the church God's called you to. And you know, Mark, I think Mark is a great singer. And so sometimes we think, oh, well, well, if Mark's singing, <laughs> then that's the good song. But if Mark's not singing, then, I'm, you know, it's not the best song in the world. <laughs> so the only person that belongs on this pedestal is who? Jesus. The only person that can save you is who? Jesus. The only person that can deliver you from the depths of hell is who? Okay, I want to make sure you understand that. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 says this. You're not spiritual. You're a baby Christian. How do we recognize baby Christians or people that are not spiritual? Here's how. When they say, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow John Paul, or I follow T.D. Jakes, or I follow these people here. It says you're not acting. Are you not acting like people of the world? And a lot of you, and don't take this the wrong way, a lot of you, um, you spend more time seeking the advice from your spouse or your friends. You know how many of you always seek prayer from people before you even go to Jesus yourself? You don't even go to, you wait, you want to call this person, this person, this person, put it on Facebook, let everybody know you're sick, and then, why don't you just go to Jesus? Amen. Do you know you can get to God through Jesus yourself? Amen. 
Um, and so I'll give you an example of this in my own life. I, I always want to make sure I have authority in my life because I believe that we can all be deceived very easily. The way you prevent deception is by having a lot of authority around you so people can tell you you're stupid when you're being stupid. And because there's been times in my life where I was very deceived and I ignored the authority and I don't ever want to do that. And so I always want to make sure I have a lot of authority, pastors, teachers, elders, you know, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I do this to a fault. One of my um, bishops, one of the guys, the, the apostle that ordained me, um, he's my mentor, a good friend of mine. He has a mega church in Atlanta and we correspond every week via email. And uh, a few months before the beginning of this year, he emailed me, he said, listen, for 2019, I want us to just be friends. I said, well, I thought we are friends. He said, no, I'm your Jesus. I said, what do you mean? He says, every week, John Paul, you're asking me how to handle this. How should you do that? Is this sermon okay? Do you like this? He said, you should be asking Jesus those things first. I said, but you respond a lot quicker sometimes. <laughs> your emails are a little bit more clearer. <laughs> He said, that's because you're not spending enough time with Jesus. And so I said, okay, whatever. And I, I, I'd submitted to his authority. But then like a month into the year, I emailed him. I said, okay, I have a situation at church. How do I handle this? And here's what he said. How did you enjoy that Captain Marvel movie? I said, it was great. But how do I handle this situation at church? He said this, how are the kids doing? I said, the kids are fine, but I need your wisdom and your help. And he said, nope, this year we're only friends. I did not realize how much I go to people for wisdom, assurance, approval when I should be going to who? Jesus. To Jesus for those things. And you know what a lot of times we do is we're supposed to study the Bible and what God says about the Bible. God says in the Bible. We're supposed to study what Jesus says in the Bible. You know what we do a lot of times? And we do it to a fault. But we study what people say about what God says. We study what people say about what Jesus says. And again, it's great to have people like that in your life, but you have to ultimately learn how to study this yourself. Because you know, there are movements that are out of balance. Discipleship movement, grace movement, the name it, claim it, faith movement in, in the 80s. It's where you take one person and this person gets one scripture or one paragraph in the Bible and they create a whole movement out of it. It gets so out of balance. And then we spend our life studying what people say about discipleship rather than what Jesus said. We spend our life studying what people say about grace rather than what God said about grace. And it turns into this huge explosion, gets us out of balance. And then the church becomes divided all over the world and it drives me crazy. So, in our series on Jesus, part one was Jesus the human. Today, part two, somebody gave me this for my birthday, so I thought I would use it. Part two is Jesus the teacher. 48 times in the Gospels, it refers to Jesus as the teacher. Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. He's greater than T.D. Jakes. He's greater than any teacher you've had in your life. He is greater than Solomon, who was the wisest man that ever lived up until Jesus, of course. Um, Jesus is the greatest teacher ever. Your pastor is not the greatest teacher ever. Whoever you listen to each week, Joyce Meyer, they're not the greatest teacher ever. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. And so I'm going to teach you three points on how to become a great teacher. Um, and three points of what Jesus did. How he is the greatest teacher of all time. Before that, I want to say this. Jesus trained for 30 years before starting his ministry. A problem I have is when people get saved and then three, four, five years later, they want to start teaching people. They want to start making disciples and they're not even a disciple themselves. They're not being taught themselves. Um, us, there's, there's pastors all on the Grand Strand. We have email threads and text threads. 
and we warn each other of people when someone comes through our church. Um, and you don't, might not know this if you, if you hadn't been in church long, but there's like a, there's a group of different types of people that just flow through churches, in and out of churches, all along the Grand Strand. One of these types is people that get saved and they immediately want to be a leader, they want to teach, they want to preach, but they don't want to be trained. You can't tell them anything. They're right about everything and they always say this phrase. They say, I just want to be led by the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit himself was taught. It says he grew in wisdom and stature. He he wasn't just born with it, he grew in it. Jesus was taught. Jesus trained for 30 years before he ever made one disciple. Before he ever taught a single lesson, uh, Luke 2.46, they found the boy Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the who? Teachers. Teachers, listening to them. And here's what he did. He asked questions. The greatest way to ever gain knowledge is to ask questions. If you want to learn, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. It said everyone who heard him, they were amazed. They were amazed. There are some people that are trying to teach you and they need to be taught. We need to always, 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 never, never, never stop learning. Never stop being, 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 receiving wisdom and knowledge from God's word from people. And one of the times we, sometimes we only want to hear what we like. We, we, we don't want to hear what we don't like. Don't talk to me about money. Don't talk to me about sexual immorality. Don't talk to me about things I don't like. Just talk to me about what makes me feel good. You're not going to learn because you already know what you know. It's time to learn what, what you don't know, what somebody else knows. Uh, people followed Jesus into deserted places where there was no food. Now, I don't think any of y'all would do that. Where there was no food just to hear him teach. How? Just to hear me. Would you come to this church if we were 20 minutes away from the nearest restaurant? I don't know. Uh, Matthew 13. I, I was hoping everybody would shout out yes, but they didn't. Matthew 13, 54. Too late now. My birthday's over. You lose. Jesus began teaching people in their synagogue. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom? Matthew 22, 33. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. Astonished. John 7, 32, 45. The chief priests and Pharisees sent guards to arrest him. The guards came back and said, no one ever spoke like this guy. They sent the police to arrest him, and the police got saved because he was such a great teacher. So what makes Jesus such a great teacher? Besides the fact that he's God, what can we learn from his teachings that can help us? I have three points for you. And this will help you become a great teacher as well if you ever want to preach or ever want to teach, okay? Uh, number and, and let me just say this. You're going to see a side of Jesus you probably never saw before over the next 20 minutes. You'll probably see a side of Jesus you've never seen as Jesus the teacher. Number one is this. Jesus taught with power. He taught with power. Everywhere he went, he was not timid. He was not shy. He was not um, insecure. He was very powerful, not just with his words, but with his body language, with the way he moved about, and I can prove this to you, uh, with the way he presented himself. He was very powerful. Uh, Matthew 7, 28, Jesus finished talking and the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching them as one who has power and authority to teach. It was the best sermon they ever heard. Now, when I ask you to picture Jesus, and I just say, put a picture of Jesus in your mind, do not picture him as a scrawny white man with highlights of blonde in his hair who is going around petting sheep, okay? It never says in the Bible he pet sheep. Maybe he did, 
But that's not how we need to view Jesus. He was a powerful carpenter. He had biceps. He had muscles. He walked into a room, and the whole room was just in awe of the power that he had. Um, let me ask you this, okay? Um, I want all the guys, all the guys, I want you to look at me. Okay, all the guys. I want you to size me up, okay? I'm six foot two. I'm 160 pounds. I have been since 1995. I haven't gained a pound. Okay. Um, <laughs> all the guys, by a show of hands, and I want you to be honest, don't be prideful, and I know you love me and all that. If we were to get in a fist fight, how many of you men in here, by, honestly, how many of you think you could take me in a fist fight? Leave him up, leave him up. Okay, I know Jimmy could. Roman? Mark. <laughs> Christian, you're 11 years old, aren't you? 12 years old? Okay, put your hands down. I did not expect all that. Bob didn't raise his hand. I'm grateful. Thank you. I'm not asking the women. How rude. Of all the shirts I could have worn today, this was not the shirt to wear. This is not the shirt. Okay, you can think whatever you want to think. It does not offend me that you think you could take me in a fight, okay? Here's what does offend me. It offends me when people underestimate the power of Jesus Christ. That offends me greatly. Jesus was the most powerful man... He had so much power that he allowed people to nail him to a cross and did nothing. He had that much power. That takes power. I mean, that takes power. When you could call down a thousand angels and you choose not to do it when someone is physically abusing you. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus told his disciples, here's what he told them. All power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Real quick, do me a favor. On the count of three, I want everybody to take a very deep breath and then let it out. Ready? One, two, three. Now let it out. The only reason you could do that is because Jesus led you. That is the only reason. Not because of your heart, not because of your lungs, not because of your brain. The only reason, the only reason you could do that is because Jesus allowed you to do that. Imagine hearing him teach and you get this revelation while he's speaking to you. The only reason you can see him is because he led you. The only reason you can hear him is because he allowed you to. The only reason you're alive is because of this man teaching you. We underestimate his power on a regular basis. Never put Satan and Jesus on the same level, ever. They are not on the same level. Jesus is not Satan's counterpart. It's not like Iron Man and Thanos at all. Jesus, listen, Jesus created Satan. He's a created being. Um, the Trinity created him, of course. But if you want to put someone on the same level as Satan, put um, Michael or Gabriel. The three were archangels. Don't ever in your mind view Jesus on one side and Satan on the other. They do not fight. They fought once. Jesus won. You fight Satan. Satan is a prince of darkness. Jesus is a king. Even if Satan were a king, Jesus is the king of kings. They do not go on the same level at all and do not ever be deceived into thinking that they, they do. Michael and Gabriel, they can deal with Satan. 
Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I want you to see parts of Jesus you've never seen before. So just imagine this, this, this scrawny white man petting sheep or whatever you think. Imagine this. In John 2.15, Jesus got a whip and he whipped people in church. Okay? Who wants to be my volunteer? <laughs> Who thought they could fight me? Who thought they could beat me up? Isn't that? Yeah, I know. Hold on, it's scary. That's scary. Hold on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, I want you to say, okay. <laughs> Let's just pretend Jesus didn't do that, okay? Let's pretend that Jesus never said stuff. Jesus never told people they're going to hell. He never whipped anybody. He was at a petting zoo all day singing, Mary had a little lamb. That's what Jesus was doing all the time, right? No. How do you become a powerful teacher? How was Jesus so filled with power and authority? Here's how. Jesus was always full of equal grace and truth. If you want to be a good preacher, if you want to listen to a good preacher, it's good to have preachers that are all about grace and preachers that are all about truth. But if you, if you study the scriptures yourself, Jesus was always full of equal. Everybody say equal. Equal, equal grace and truth. Not just grace and truth, but equal. Let me give you an example. Um, grace is, um, Jesus just loves you. Jesus loves you unconditionally. No matter what you do, he'll love you. No matter what. That's the truth. But he's not always pleased with you. Jesus is not pleased with you whenever you uh, willingly and, and, and intentionally commit sin. Jesus is not pleased when you don't tithe your income. Jesus is not pleased whenever you um, have unforgiveness in your heart. This is truth. This is grace. The perfect example of equal grace and truth is when Jesus met the woman caught in the act of adultery. Sexual immorality. They were going to stone her to death. Here's what Jesus said. I love you. I do not condemn you. I forgive you. And then here's what he said. Don't do it anymore. Read it. The last thing he said was, now go and sin no more do not do it again this is wrong it's not pleasing to me it hurts me and it's hurting you you don't even realize that it's hurting you i love you so much i can tell you this is bad for you don't do it but listen i love you no matter what i, I nothing you could do can make me love you any more or any less and every time you preach you should always have equal of both because it can't be received. Too much truth, they'll, they'll, they'll turn away from you. Too much grace, and they'll think they can do whatever they want to, and there's, no, there's nothing that, 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 can, that needs to change in their life. We don't like to hear things that we don't agree with, but those are the things we need to hear with the most. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, as a pastor, it's very tough. For the first several years of my ministry, I was too much grace because I didn't want to offend people. It hurt me when people left my church because I like having friends. When I build a relationship, I want to keep that relationship. A few months ago, I lost a friend in church because I was preaching on homosexuality. Listen, homosexuality and heterosexuality, the sex outside of marriage between a husband and wife, it's wrong either way. Sexual moral, whatever. And listen, and they didn't like this, so they decided to go to a church that was okay with it or that doesn't preach that truth or whatever the case is. I love everybody. I love myself. I love everybody just the same. I can't take out a scripture and not preach something because I'm scared I'm offend somebody. Here's the good news. When you preach the word of God, they're not offended at you. They're offended at the word of God. So it's not, you're the mailman delivering the mail, but you, like you still love people. You don't treat them bad. 
It's because you're praying. And don't ever think, well, I can't talk to anybody about things I've failed in. Of course you can. Those are the things you want to talk to them about. I used to smoke. I'm not going to tell my kids I can't talk to you about smoking because dad used to smoke. No, I'm going to say because I smoked. It takes your money, it makes you stink, and it's bad for you, and you could die early. I'm going to tell them that. No offense if you smoke. But anyway, (laughs) but I'm still going to talk to them about things, and and we don't like that. So I want to close this point with this one. And the other two points are are quick, but I want to close this. I was watching this preacher from the 1950s and 60s, okay? His name's, uh, don't put it up there yet, but his name's J. Vernon McGee. And he's, y'all know, y'all know Jay Vernon McGee? Really? Wow. Okay, so it, towards the end of his life, he got real old. He would stutter and he'd talk really slow and in a high-pitched voice. And so it took him an hour to preach a 20-minute sermon, but he was very anointed, very anointed. And he said this quote. He said, uh, this is God's universe and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> You may have a better way, but it's not your universe. You don't get to make the rules. Jesus does. Number one, he's full of power. Number two is this. Jesus taught with practicality. He taught with practicality. Listen, real close. Any of you that ever want to preach, 90% of Jesus' sermons were under 30 minutes long. How do I know that? Because I have all of his sermons right here. And no matter how slow you preach them, 90% of them are between 6 minutes and 20 minutes long. Well, only a few times did Jesus preach a really, really long sermon. The rest were very short, to the point. They were practical. He didn't make up weird words that people didn't understand. Very practical. And see, a lot of times our emotions, we want to hear a preacher or go to a teacher that has this deep, crazy revelation, but we don't want to do just the basics of Christianity of what Jesus told. Here's a sermon Jesus told. Hey, y'all, don't worry about tomorrow. I want to hear something deep. I want to get a revelation. Okay, stop worrying. My father takes care of the birds and the flowers. He cares more for you. Don't worry. No, I want to go and I want to, I want to hear some, I want to do these miracles. And I want, okay, that's fine. Stop. Try one day not worrying. Just try doing that one day. Jesus said this. If you're mad at someone, don't come to church and pretend. Get it right with them first. You got six days before next Sunday. Get it right with that person. No, I want to hear, I want to hear about how we can um, change lives and how we can prophesy and speak in tongues. Okay, how about first, get whatever's wrong in your heart right. Jesus said this, you ought to tithe. Matthew 23, 23. A lot of the people that want to be great leaders and great, they don't even do this. You ought to, well, don't talk to me about money, but Jesus did. Two-thirds of his sermons were about money and hell. How about this? Put God first and you won't have to worry about anything. Jesus told that. How practical is that? There are things Jesus did not say, or words not in the Bible. He did not say, live life with people. He didn't say, do life. He didn't say, emergent. He didn't talk about social justice. He did not say, missional community. He did not say, be intentional. Now, we can take a scripture and we can blow up a whole doctrine about it, but there are some words that we start saying around people, they don't even know what we're talking about. Just get back to the basics. Tithe, treat people right. Don't have unforgiveness in your heart. That's deep stuff. He was very practical. Number three, Jesus taught with parables. Jesus was a cinematic preacher. Everybody say cinematic. Jesus knows what jets are. He knows what cars are. He knows what motorcycles are. But he didn't use those words because he was talking to people in a certain culture. He always based his sermons on who he was speaking to. 
and he taught them about things that they understood. Matthew 13, 34, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He didn't say anything without using illustrations. Okay, because it's my birthday, um, in the Miller house, we actually, we don't celebrate birthdays the day. We celebrate like for a whole month. We really do. Ever since my first child was born, we spend the whole month celebrating. We let them pick where they're going to eat, go to dinner. We do we, a whole month of celebration. So we're still celebrating my birthday. I need you all to do something for me. I want everybody in here to just close your eyes, okay? I'm not going to squirt you with a water gun or anything. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody. I want you to picture a camel with your eyes closed, okay? Eyes closed. One hump or two humps, I don't care. Picture a camel. It's a friendly camel. He's not going to spit on you, bite you, kick you. Very friendly. I want you to walk around to the back side of the camel. And with one of your hands, just kind of just kind of scratch the camel, you know, pet it a little bit. Just, just picture it. Now, with your eyes closed, with your other hand, there's a little old lady in a rocking chair sewing a button onto a shirt. I want you to ask her for her needle. Take that needle with that hand and the camel with your other hand and on the count of three I want you to shove the camel through the eye of the needle one two three do it okay open up and look at me what's the one word that comes to your mind impossible no can't do it right can't do it Jesus said that's exactly what it's like for people who have money to get to heaven Jesus I didn't preach that Jesus preached that he said that's a and everyone in here is richer than two-thirds of the entire world. The poorest person in here is in the top 85% richest person in the world. Jesus said it's that hard for us to get down. We don't like to hear those teachings of Jesus. They make us feel like, ah, is there a chance I'm going to hell? Okay, let me do another one. You can leave your eyes open for this one. Um, Let's all go to Lowe's together. Everybody know Lowe's, right? Lowe's is cheaper than Home Depot, but there's more people to help you in Home Depot. No one helping Lowe's, but I know where we're going, so we're going to Lowe's. We're going to go down the um, lumber aisle. That's where the wood's at. Okay. Can you, I want you to smell the sawdust. Can you smell the sawdust? If I just smell it. Oh, don't you love the smell of sawdust? As long as somebody else is doing the work. But anyway, and so we're going to Lowe's. And I want you to find a piece of wood about like, about like this here, okay? Get it off the shelf. I want everyone to hold it. So hold out your hands. Everyone's holding your wood. If I hold it, hold it. If I hold your piece of wood, you got it? Hold it. Come on, it's my birthday. I want you to turn it as if you're eating like a really long sub sandwich. Okay, turn it like this. On the count of three, I want you to shove it into your eyeball. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, you got it? Hold it there. Hold it in your eye. Everybody got it? Hold it. With this in your eyeball, I want us all to walk around Lowe's and walk around the mall and walk around church. And every time we pass by somebody, I want you to help them get the little piece of sawdust out of their eye. While you're holding this piece of wood in your eye, you go to this, oh, you have some sawdust in your eye, man. Let me tell you how to get it out. Jesus said that's what it's like when you're critical and judgmental of people. You have this sticking out of your head, and you got a, there's someone else that has a little piece of sawdust. Because here's why. You can only see the sawdust in their life, but you know your life. And if you add up all of your sawdust, here's what it looks like. And you're trying to tell somebody else that has a speck what they need to do. <laughs> that's, that's what Jesus said. Okay, two more. I'll let you go. Two more. There's this guy driving on the bypass. This is Jesus preaching. 
The guy was coming south, headed north, going toward Coastal Grand Mall. All of a sudden, he runs over something and gets a flat tire. Pulls on the side of the road. And he thinks, well, I'm going to call somebody to help me. But he looks and he sees the Sears right there at Coastal Grand, the automotive part. So he thinks, well, I'm just going to walk there. It's just less than a mile away, see if they can help me. It's about 7 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, a car pulls on the side of the road. The guy thinks the people are here to help him, maybe give him a ride. So he turns around. When he does, four men jump out of the car, and they begin to just beat this guy on the ground. I mean, blood's flying, eyes all cut up, noses broke. Then they take his shoes off of him. They steal his wallet, his watch, and his phone, and they take off. And so the guy's laying on the side of the road, and Jesus says, hey, don't worry. The Archbishop of South Carolina is driving by in his limousine the same time. The limo driver says to the guy, he says, your holiness, there's a guy on the side of the road that needs help. Should we pull over? And the holiness says, no, we have an important meeting to go to. I'm sure somebody else will make a phone call for him. And they keep going. Next, there was this really great pastor. I mean, a great pastor driving an orange sports car. And his wife was with him. His hot wife was in the car. And the hot wife says to the great pastor, Honey, we should stop by and this guy just got hurt. We need to do something about it. And the great pastor says to the hot wife, Honey, I got to get home. I'm working on a sermon on how we should serve Jesus more. I don't have time. And then this single mom coming home from her second job drives by. She sees the man on the side of the road and she thinks, oh, I got to get to my children. I have so much to do. But she turns around, and she doesn't know what to do. She's kind of scared, so she calls an Uber. Uber gets there, and they both get out of the car. And she sees the man hurt, so she gets some baby wipes out of her car and starts to wipe off all of his wounds. He says, they took my wallet. They took everything out. I don't know what to do. So she pays the Uber driver using all the money she made that night from 10 hours of waiting tables. Gives it to the Uber driver says take him wherever he needs to go and if he needs some more money call me at this number and I'll give you my credit card and then Jesus looks at the crowd and says which one is the good neighbor I didn't that's not my sermon that's not Joyce Meyer's sermon Jesus taught that sermon that's his teaching one more I'll let you go it's my favorite Jesus looked at the crowd and said Y'all, there's this rich businessman in Pauly's Island. He lives in the biggest house in Debadu. He's 60 years old, a few years from retirement. He has a very, very, very good business, a multi-million dollar company. And he has two sons. His oldest son was always very studious. He was a good people person. He was studying to take over the company one day from his father. He, he always made good grades in school, just a great kid. The younger son was sometimes very dramatic in life, sometimes lazy, made excuses. When the younger son turned 21 years old, the father said, son, what do you want for your birthday? I'll give you whatever you want. The younger son said, I want my inheritance. I want my trust fund. I want it all now. Dad said, son, I've been saving for 25 years for that. The goal was when I die for you to have that money so you can invest. I want it now. So they make an appointment at Edward Jones. They sit down with Erica. 
They say, listen, we want to get the trust fund, the inheritance. I, I, I'm going to give it all to my son. Erica says, no, 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 why would you do that? You should invest it. If you need to borrow money, you can, but that's not very wise. The younger son says, I want it now. It's my money. I can have whatever I want. I want it now. Okay. He writes the check. This son immediately books a flight to Las Vegas. He gets there and he starts making what he thinks is new friends. They just care about his money. He gets the nicest hotel room. He rents one of those Ferraris that you can rent for a few weeks. He does drugs, prostitutes. He starts gambling his money away. After just two or three weeks, he's down to $50,000. So he decides to play the blackjack tables, and in one bet, he loses everything. He sells his watch the next day. He sells his iPhone a week later. They kick him out of his apartment, out of his hotel room. He doesn't know what to do. He's hungry. So he goes to McDonald's, hoping someone's going to give him some food, and nobody does. As he's standing in McDonald's, all of a sudden he looks outside, and the rain just starts to pour down. He thinks, what am I going to do? So he walks around back of McDonald's. He opens up the garbage can, and he sees a half-eaten cheeseburger. He pulls it out. And he eats the cheeseburger out of the garbage can with the rain pouring down, standing in a puddle, hasn't showered in days, and he has this thought. The lowest employee in my father's company has it better off than me. Maybe I'll go home and beg him to just let me be the janitor in one of his offices. So he borrows, begs, pleads for money from people all around, gets enough for a bus ticket from the bus in Las Vegas, Nevada, all the way to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He has this little notebook and he writes out his apology. I mean, every day he works on it. I'm so sorry. I was a fool. How could I be so stupid? I don't know what came over me. I was so immature. On and on it goes. When he arrives in Myrtle Beach, he's too embarrassed to even call his family. So he starts walking home from the bus stop. It takes him six and a half hours to get to the front of Debadoo. As he enters into the neighborhood and finally makes it to the end of his street. When he turns on his street, he looks up ahead. A hundred yards ahead is his house. All of a sudden, the front porch light comes on. His 60-year-old father, wearing a $3,000 suit, comes running out of the house. Through the lawn, down the street, the younger son's shocked. What's he going to do? He thinks his dad's going to punch him, so he braces for the punch. And all of a sudden, when his dad reaches him, he grabs him and bear hugs him as hard as he can. Starts to swing him around. The son says, Dad, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. The dad says, no, I got to tell you something. Come with me. He runs him back to the house. When they get to the threshold of the door, the son says, Dad, I haven't showered in over a week. Please, I, I don't deserve to come inside. Your dad says, what are you talking about? Get in here. Takes him upstairs. He says, son, look at your room. I got your brand new bedroom suit. Do you like it? The son says, yeah, Dad, I love it, but I got I to tell you something. I got to just read you something. Just give me a minute. Dad says, no, 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 come downstairs. He takes him to the garage, and it's a brand new car with a bow on top. The dad says, son, I got this for you. Do you like it? 
I'd like it, but dad, I have to tell you something, please. The dad says, hold on one more second. He pulls out his cell phone and there's a text thread with some people from his corporation and some leaders in church. And he sends them all the texts in Luke 15, 24. My son that was lost has now been found. We're going to have a party. The son says, dad, that's it. I can't take it. I have to read you this letter. And he pulls out his little notebook. And the father says, well, first, let me read you my letter. And the dad pulls out an even bigger notebook with page after page after page after page. Son, we missed you so much. We love you with all our heart. You were such a joy to raise. We're so glad you're our child. We knew God's favor would surround you wherever you go. We prayed for you every day. We could not wait for the day that you would arrive home. On and on it goes. And the dad says, son, didn't you know? I've been working on your welcome home letter a lot longer than you've been working on your I'm sorry letter. Jesus told that story. We didn't make that up. That came from the teacher himself. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. And we have the book of his teaching. If Jesus were going to be teaching in Florida this Wednesday night, would you drive there to listen? Okay. He's going to be in your closet tonight. He's going to be in your car tomorrow morning. He's going to be in your bedroom this evening. You can talk to him and listen to his teachings anytime you want. And that is Jesus the teacher. Amen.